Well, good morning. Good morning. Apologize for the cold, a little bit of a deeper voice than normal, but uh, summer, Fourth of July cold caught on, so guaranteed I won't go too long today, I promise you. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. And as we're t- you're turning to the scriptures, let's commit our time in, to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you that you are with us in the storms of life. Thank you for just the song that Jenny just sang, Lord, because we have experienced your faithfulness, Lord, to us. We thank you that um, you are our anchor, and we trust in you, and we love you, Lord, and we want to just uh, hear from you today and pray that as your word is opened, that we will have ears to hear what you would have for us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you the question this morning, how is your relationship going with your Heavenly Father? That's really the big idea. Thank you very much. How is your relationship going with your God today? The title this morning is Knowing and Enjoying Your Dad and King. And I gave this message a few weeks ago on Father's Day. And changed it around a little bit since that was three weeks ago. But I was thinking, you know, this is too important of a subject in the scriptures just to have for one week in a year. So I want to talk about it again because it's a subject that I know is dear to the heart of God. That we address him and think of him as father. And all the privileges that come as his children to us. And I'm just touching on a couple of them. Just before we read from 1 John chapter 3. Actually, let's read it together now. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Curious this morning how you view God. It's a, it's a, it's a large, too large a subject that we can even probably take in. Depending on how tired you are or where you're at this holiday weekend, maybe it's a bit much for you just to take in even this morning. But how do you view God? Remember, one of the questions that uh, we asked people who were coming into a a survey in basic Christianity class called SBC was, what is your concept of God? And there were really four possibilities, and there's many more than this, but the four possibilities in this particular question that we asked in the study guide was, is, do you view him as a manager? When you think of God, do you think of somebody who's a manager? Or maybe you've been raised, or maybe you think of him today as like a, like a cop. He's like that heavenly policeman. Or maybe for some people, your perception of him is like um, a machine. He, he's really not personal. He's not somebody that's, that's intimate, that's knowable, but he's just like that machine. Maybe that sits on your 
desk in your office or in your home, that computer. There's a lot of knowledge there, but not something that you really have a relationship with. And another possibility that we asked was, is maybe do you view him as your father? Do you view him as a father? Now, for some people today, and what was interesting in that question was, there were always different answers to that. Some people had a problem with father based upon what maybe their background was with their own father. I was at a, uh, Rebecca St. James uh, gave a wonderful concert last Sunday at the county fair. I was really impressed with her testimony. This uh, young woman in her mid-twenties just so obviously in love with God. It just radiated from her face. Anybody happen to see that? You were there. I was there for both because I enjoyed it so, the six and the eight o'clock. And she talked about a subject that I know is, is very sensitive and one that I hear at work often, and it's the whole area of abuse. And if someone here, for example, this morning has come from an abusive relationship with a father, whether it was emotional or physical or sexual, that it's difficult maybe for you to think of God as a father because you're thinking back to your earthly father. And for some, that's hard. And yet, and yet, God as a heavenly father doesn't even compare to even the best dads here that we were honoring three weeks ago, I think today. And for some, the answer was none of the above. But I want to explore today just this wonderful concept of God as Father. It was J.I. Packard that said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. And this is what John in 1 John chapter 3 says. He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we... You should be called a child of God. And so I want to ask you today, do you enjoy a close relationship with the Father in heaven? Are you making, and can you honestly say that you're making the most, the most that's possible to you on this earth with that relationship with God? Well, one of the questions we've got to ask when we look at these verses of Scripture right away is, and this is one of the first questions I want to ask you. I've got four today, four areas that I want to talk about, but we've got to clear the air first on this. And the first one is, are you a member of the family of God? Jesus said something that was very intense. You know, Jesus didn't beat around the bush. There are some of us and some people who just, you know, after they've said something, for five or ten minutes, you're kind of saying, well, what did they say? What, what really were they saying? You know, can they minimize it? Jesus was somebody very direct. He told, he told the truth. He always told the truth. He called a spade a spade. And he said to the Pharisees, and you don't need to turn to this, but he said to them in John chapter 8, If God were your father, you would love me. And then he went on to say to them in this very poignant chapter, chapter 8, he said, 
you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. The scriptures teach, the Bible teaches that those who reject Jesus Christ are called children of the devil. It would be a wonderful thing, and there's many people who believe this in the universe, that when a person in this world is born, that we're all born as children of God. How many of you have heard that? We're all children of God is what some people believe. But I want to tell you something. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach in this wonderful utopia, as nice of an idea as it would be, that everybody that's walking on this planet is a child of God, of the Father in heaven, of the God of this Bible. You won't find it in the scriptures. Turn in John chapter, First uh, John 3, just look down a little bit further in verse 10. Matter of fact, John the writer goes on to state this. He says, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. There's no blurring here, no ambiguity. It's obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. It is something that's very evident. And so what you've got to ask yourself today is, yes, Randy, I am 100% certain. I am 100% certain, as certain as I am that I'm alive and sitting in this chair, that I am a child of God, and I can base that on what the Bible teaches or is there possibly somebody here today who would say, you know, I'm the honest truth of that is not that there can any be other than any kind of type of truth except the honest truth. But the honest truth of that is I'm not sure. Or maybe you would even be totally courageous to say, no, I am not a child of God today. I practice. I practice sin. I really don't love God. I don't really know who this God is that you're talking about, but I'm interested. I want to know more. Fantastic, if that's the case. God, the Bible tells us that what God has done is something that you and I could never, ever do to make us a member of his family. John 1, chapter 12. I'm sure many of you who quote scripture here know the verse. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. Jesus Christ has made it possible that if we receive him, if we put our trust in him, if we recognize that we need to be released from the devil as our father and we want to embrace his heavenly father, the way to know the father is through Jesus Christ, the son, and to receive him as our Lord and Savior, believing that that cross that's on your bulletin, that that cross was there because Jesus Christ went there for you and he shed his blood and you have received him. There's a song we sing at our uh, home uh, assembly. Father God, I wonder how I managed to exist without the knowledge of your parenthood and your loving care. But now I am, and this is a wonderful truth that's brought out in the book of Galatians, adopted in your family. And I can never be alone because, Father God, you're there beside me. And the song goes on to say what the natural response should be for every person here this morning who's a child of God. The next line in the lyric says, I will sing your praises. And we as children of God this morning, those of us who are, should be singing the praises of God because we're his child. We're the child of a perfect heavenly father 
who loves us and cares for us, and like Jenny's saying, is going to be with us in the storm. This is a wonderful thing. Many of you know the hymn, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. This weekend we've been thinking about the 4th of July. We've been thinking about freedom. We've been thinking about how privileged we are to be a nation that's free. But I want to tell you even more important than that is that if you're a child of God today, you're free. Free. Free from sin and its penalty and its power. And you now have no longer a tyrant, a, a cruel tyrant who is who you were serving. And now you've got a heavenly father who loves you. And some of the benefits, some of the wonderful privileges that you have as a child of God, I just want to touch on a couple of, as we have our minutes remaining, is you have access to this God in prayer. I want you to turn, and we're just going to look at a couple of verses together. I won't have you going everywhere, I promise. But I want you to turn to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, which is just a little letter Paul wrote. It's going backwards past John, First John. It's the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. I wonder if you remember anything. I want you to remember these scripture verses because this is where the, this is the proof of the pudding. Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 18. Paul writes, for through him, we both, he's talking about Jew and Gentile, this marvelous thing, have our access in one spirit to the Father. I don't know, I hope it touches your heart today. I hope, you know, I was thinking the other day, sort of sad at work. I worked a 16-hour shift on the 4th of July. That's probably why I got sick, I think. And, uh, you know, I was listening to people call and call and call about fireworks going off. And to be honest with you, by about the 15th hour, I was kind of burned out on any more phone calls about fireworks. You know, if it hadn't been a taped line, I think I might have been saying things that maybe I shouldn't say. You know, get over it. It's just two more hours and the fifth is coming and, you know, but you just can't say that and it's going to, you know, be all over. But I had one lady crying on the phone with me about the sparklers going off in front of her house and, and she was sobbing and, and I just, to be honest, had no empathy at that point any longer. <laughs> um, not terrible, but I hope. And the danger is, is you know, and I realized this, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. You just get so you can get so callous. You hear so much problems and heartache, and, and it's a, it's really a fine line. But I hope, I hope, and trust that as Christians this morning, we're not callous or any way kind of. It, we've lost that magic or that wonder that we can approach our Heavenly Father at any time, at any place, for any reason. And this is just as an oh, ho-hum stuff, ho-hum truth that we've heard because we've been Christians for a long time. I hope we're tapping in to that wonderful privilege of being able to do that. That God is our Father and that we can talk to Him. You know, I tried talking a couple of weeks ago to the person who I was trying to refinance with. You know, I know somebody was listening to the message because when I said this point three weeks ago, I had two people phone me that night saying, are you interested in refinancing? I heard something about that. You know, I thought, well, they were awake. There's a couple people. Well, I already have, so don't worry about it. But I wanted to call this company that I've been with because, you know, the rates have been dropping down. And so I called and I said, you know, uh, I've been uh, left a message on the answer machine and nobody called me back. And then I had to go through that, this whole phone trunk thing. And it just, it got so exasperating. I just hung up and went with somebody else. I found out that this company that I was with is one of the top three. 
And this is often what happens, isn't it? The larger, the bigger a company, the larger maybe, for example, in a store as opposed to the mom and pop store, you find you don't get that same personal service often. And you're just kind of, you just feel like you're just one big number out there that maybe people, they don't need you. They don't necessarily need to call back. They don't need to say, sir, how are you? What can I do for you today? You know, all of this and that. It gets more difficult. You try talking to some high-ranking official today. You think you can, you think you, when you get home today, you can just call whatever the phone number is to the White House and just say, you know, I'd just like to speak to President Bush for a moment if I could, please. You think that's going to happen? Or for that matter, forget about politics. Maybe um, before the game at 2 o'clock, you want to talk to Barry Bonds. You know, you just want to talk to him and just give him a few ideas of how maybe to hit that home run, you know, number 27 or whatever it is. You think you're going to be able to do that? No, you're not. Or you take somebody else that you honor and you admire or you appreciate or who's, who's somewhere kind of high up. What's the access like? It's not really there. Not unless you have some kind of really special relationship with that person. Then you can. And you this morning as a child of God, you have a special relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you can talk to Him about anything that's on your heart. Anything that's troubling you. Anything that concerns you. You want to tell Him how wonderful He is and that you love Him. That you adore Him and that this is what you appreciate. He's all ears and He's going to hear that. And something I've never have understood, and maybe one day I'm going to get it when I'm in heaven, and maybe it's one of your questions too, is I have a hard time if four of my children are talking to me at the same time. Can't really, I might acknowledge like I'm listening, but they know that the gaze means something very different. Or if they were to say to me, repeat what I just said, I'd be kind of, you know, a little bit lost to be able to get it. But our God is so great that his children all over this planet are addressing him and talking to him. He's not missing a word. He hears it all. And the Bible even, teach, even teaches that he even hears it before we speak it. He knows what was on our mind, what's on our tongue. It's a marvelous truth. My children know that they can come and talk to me at any time. That they have a special access to me that no one else does as my children. It gets a little bit more challenging if I am watching a baseball game or listening to the Weather Channel. Then I'm a little bit more, you know, is this really important right now? But obviously, in all sincerity, if it's anything important, the volume goes off, the television goes off, the radio's turned down because they're my children. They don't have to put on their best attire first to talk to me. They don't have to take a shower. They don't have to address me in some special language that would come across as unnatural. They don't have to hold their hands in a certain way to address me. They don't have to follow some outline of what to say. They just simply come to me and tell me. And when it's best is when they tell me what's on their heart. And when it's in sincerity. And they can do that. I can walk into my dad's house. Even with, I have a key. Sometimes I don't even knock. But I walk in. And I can go into their refrigerator and pour out anything I want, usually. From the freezer or the fridge. And I can talk to my dad, who fortunately is still alive in my case. And I can do things as his son that no one else can do that lives on Script Street because I'm his child and he's my father. There is a special relationship. Do you have that special relationship with your heavenly father today? Scripture teaches in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption.
as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, this is the Aramaic term that Jewish children used to address their father. And the English equivalent of that word, of Abba, would be Daddy or Dear Father. Is that how you address your God today? Dear Father. Abba. Father. You know, the Old Testament emphasized God's awesome holiness. This is not something that we should make lightly of in our age where there's so much acceptance of sin. The Old Testament taught that God is an awesome, holy God. And to such a degree, his holiness is emphasized that sometimes it seemed like he really wasn't as approachable because of his holiness. God's special presence was not something that everybody could enter. Matter of fact, the high priest could only enter into the special presence of God once a year. I don't read in the Old Testament of Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, or Daniel addressing God as Abba, Father. But in the New Testament, at least 275 times we're taught that this is how we ought to speak to God, as Father. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles now to a more popular or more rec- uh, gospel, Matthew chapter 7. We're going back to the very first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7. A couple of probably very familiar verses to many of you. Jesus says on this wonderful teaching in verse 7, he says, Ask, Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you, when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? A father, a good father. I hope you have a good father or had a good father. Always was eager to come to a child's aid, to their children's aid. If your child was injured, I think you're going to respond and do something about it. I was at a hotel uh, attending a dispatching conference a few months ago, and I was sitting at the pool after the course, and there was another dispatcher with me, and there was some kids in a pool, and it looked like one of them was drowning. And I don't know why, because a couple of years ago when I was at Yosemite, I jumped in, even and ruined my watch in the context. But the kid said he wasn't drowning, which made it all the more interesting. But I thought there was a kid drowning, so I just ran in. And then the kid said, I was fine, I was fine. So, okay, well, this time this kid, I think, is drowning. And I don't know quite how to explain this, but I just looked over at the other person and said, I think that kid's drowning. And there was no reaction. I wasn't really doing anything. You know, I was wondering, come on, what's going on here? I said, I just, what's going on? This other person then leaped in and went after the kid. I think he was just taking in a little bit of water, but it wasn't a big deal. But every good parent, if they see their child in any kind of need, is going to do something. The door is always open to us as God's child. 
as a member of his family. And he today is anticipating your next visit. He wants to hear your words of affection. He wants to hear your struggles. He wants to hear your trust in him. He wants to hear that, uh, as First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. First Peter 5, 7. So in this age of independence, in this age of kind of just doing it our own way, and kind of liking to be independent, not have to rely on other people, this is totally foreign to the concept of what the Bible teaches So as children of God, we're to be totally dependent on God for everything. And I love being around the kind of person, the kind of Christian who, in the start of their morning to the end of their day, has this kind of awareness of the presence of God. There was a wonderful book out a few years ago called Practicing the Presence of God. And this person, that kind of person, is a person that is thanking God for everything that happens during the course of their day. They're not this kind of person that just gets in the car and just puts on the seatbelt and just goes 30, 40 miles. They're conscious of the fact that they want to commit their traveling to the Lord. And when they get where they're at, they're thanking them. When they're eating, they're thanking them, not just thank you for this food, blah, 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 but they're genuinely sincere. And for every opportunity of something that's happening in their life during the course of their day at work or at college or wherever they are, they're the kind of person that is just very conscious of the fact they're having this ongoing kind of communication with their father. And it's a marvelous thing and it's very contagious. As opposed to the child that kind of just says, you know, now that I'm 18 or whatever, for some it probably starts at 10 or 12 or 14, says, you know, now I'm going to kind of just do it my own way. I'm going to kind of go off and I don't really need my parents anymore. And there's a certain aspect of what when a a person becomes an adult, we want to see that cord cut with an adult. That's healthy and normal. However, spiritually speaking, it should be the case that we're constantly tied in and tapped into the father through the spirit. And not living as though we're independent children, just going our own way. Jesus also makes in this point in Matthew chapter 7, the point being, as of a kid, a father asks for a loaf, is he going to give him a snake? Of course not. And the point is, is what kind of father would he be if he did? And so our father knows the good gifts that we need. Not necessarily all the wants. Not necessarily all your wants and my wants today, but he knows what we need to make it through even today. Scripture teaches us, or the song teaches us, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Okay, let's turn now to, and as we're wrapping up pretty quickly here, let's turn back to the book of Hebrews, because this is good stuff. And you said, you know, Randy, I like what you're saying about that we can talk to God about anything. But Hebrews chapter 12 tells us something else about another aspect of being a child of God that maybe we don't like as much. And that is training in godliness. You know, when I talk about, tra- when we talk about training, you know, I don't know, that might be like, you know, as about as attractive and as going to the dentist tomorrow for a root canal. You know, you really need to just uh, be disciplined and you need to train yourself. We don't, generally speaking, like much pain. I was kind of somewhat amused, but not callous to what when Dean said, didn't we have a wonderful time at the picnic on the 4th because I know something happened to your arm that day. And you're saying it with a smile. And I'm kind of watching that arm and I'm, I can tell that's giving you trouble. But we don't like pain and we don't ask for it. I don't know if there's anybody here really that would say, Lord, send pain today my way. You know, send me heartache, send me grief, send me everything I need so that I can be disciplined and trained. 
But training takes many forms, and then we would acknowledge that it's good. If you train yourself in how you eat or how you exercise, there's benefits to that. Some of us need training emotionally and spiritually. And the thing that God wants to teach us, and Jenny is saying about this, and the whole idea is that God wants to teach us how to learn to depend on him when the storms hit, when the tragedies strike. So that we're not just, you know, like, what do I do? What do I do? And then somebody says, well, have you turned to the Lord? And we're like, no, I hadn't thought about that yet. I've asked everybody else and I've researched every other option, but I haven't really gone to God on this. And then the answer is, well, why don't we do that? We should do that. Some of us also need to understand that pain and training and discipline sometimes takes the form that God spanks us. There are consequences of sinful choices. I assume you were raised in a home, as if you can think back now, that if you did wrong, there were consequences. And the, the tragedy today is, is that I'm hearing some phone calls where the 10-year-olds are running the home. They're, they're really in charge. And the parents are calling up totally exasperated, not knowing what to do with their 10-year-old child because they haven't learned how to be spanked in the appropriate way, as Proverbs teaches. They haven't learned how to be disciplined. And so there's a lot of good that comes from it. And you and I should ask ourselves, in Hebrews chapter 12 addresses this, why should we be glad? Why should you be glad today? Why should you have a smile on your face when you hear that God disciplines you? And I want to show you from Hebrews or chapter 12, verse 5, look what he says. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And here it is. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those, listen to this, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Notice that wonderful phrase, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It's a mark of the love that God has for you today, if you're his child, that you experience the discipline of God. That's spank. And you know what? You and I need it. A lot of times we don't think we do. We get defensive about it. And we try and justify and excuse. But you know what? Truth test, you and I need it. Because sometimes we do go astray. We're prone to wander. God shows his love for us by doing this. My daughter once said to me when she was very small, she said, Dad, she said in front of a couple of people who didn't know Christ and probably thought it was a little bizarre. She said, you spank me because you love me. And I said, you're right, Laura. That's absolutely the truth. And what's the goal in discipline? Well, the writer in Hebrews goes on to tell us. Look at verse 7. For it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father's spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, and it's true, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I trust you, you've gotten this if you're a Christian this morning. And I, 
if you get this and you're only a believer a week or a month or a year, it's far better you get this now than figuring this out five years from now. And it really is this, that God the Father wants you to become more like Jesus Christ. He knows that his son isn't physically on this earth any longer. He went up 2,000 years ago to heaven, or he's seated on high at the right hand of the Father. But you and I as Christians today, we are reflecting. We are, people see, I trust, something of Jesus Christ in us. Now, they don't see him and his perfection in us because we haven't gotten there. We're not Jesus Christ. But as joint heirs, as the king's kids, do we share any of the resemblance and likeness of the father and the son? Who the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 is the exact radiance of the Father. The exact representation of his nature. So are you convinced that everything God allows to happen in your lives is training of one sort or another? With the goal of making you more like Jesus? I trust this morning, I trust this afternoon, that that's something that is on your heart and mind. That it's your prayer. Is it your prayer at the end of an afternoon, at the end of an evening, or at the beginning of that day? That whatever God that you put me through for this day coming, or whatever you've given me during this day, the big idea that I hope I've become more like your son and brought honor and glory to you by the way I've lived and behaved, the way I've spoke, the way I've reacted, that my attitudes with people, some of the unlovely people that you come across every day, that you've been like Jesus would be with them. When people look, do they see something of Christ? When somebody tells you you do, praise God. That is a wonderful, wonderful encouragement. Just in wrapping up, lastly, you think this is great. I can access God in prayer. Okay, he loves me, so he's going to discipline me. He's going to train me to become more like his son. That's the whole big idea. But I want to suggest to you that there are some responsibilities we have as his children. And I want to touch on this real quick. You say, well, what does God want from me? In a nutshell, what does he want? I want to just highlight three areas real fast. One, he wants your love. He wants your love. Jesus said in Matthew, quotes from scripture, the Pharisee said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I know as a father and as a mother here this morning, as a parent, the thing that we want most from our children that touches us the most is we want their love. We want that to be the motivation for everything that they do. It's because they love us. And therefore, they don't want to hurt us. They don't want to abuse us. They don't want to offend us because the overriding, the strongest, strongest motivation out there is because they love us. And as Christians this morning, it's very easy, no matter where you're at in your spiritual age, to go through the motions of obeying more out of duty than out of love. Do you tell the Father often that you love him? Is this something that he hears from your lips on a regular basis? Father, I love you. And I adore you. And I worship you and I praise you and I thank you that you're such a great God 
for all the reasons that you go on to say. There's a song we sing that I love at our home church. My Father, I adore you more than anything my heart could wish for. I just want you. And Jesus, my beloved Savior, everything I have, I owe to you. I owe it all to you. And angels come and adore you. And we, your children, worship you. You are my world. You are my God. And I lay down my life for you. You are my Lord, the one I love. No one could ever take your place. I trust we feel like that today. That's the, we would echo that very words ourselves. No one takes your place. You're number one. Not only does he want our love, I believe he wants our honor. Scripture says in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. God says, then if I am a father, where is my honor? Do you honor God by how you live? Jesus said in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And lastly, he wants us to be like him. He wants us to imitate him. Ephesians chapter 5. Last bit of scripture, verse 2 verses. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes... Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Very simple verse. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I want to ask you, just in closing, can you say, that God is your father. That is a question, if there's any doubt whatsoever, as Dean prayed this morning, don't leave until you get that one resolved. And if you're a Christian today, how is your relationship with him? You know, it's a question that we ask, you know, if we're anyway tapped into relationships, which I trust we are, if we're on this planet, we have to be. You know, how's it going? Usually, if you're married, you have an idea how it's going with your wife or husband. And if you have children, you kind of have a good idea how your relationship is with your kids and your co-workers. Well, how's your relationship with your father, your God? What, what words would describe it? If you had just five words, not phrases, we'll make it even easier. Just words that would describe what your relationship is like now. What are the words? Are you enjoying all the blessings and benefits of being his child? Does your life show increasing, increasing resemblance to his? And lastly, could you put your finger on one area today? Just one. Where you could and you should be more like him. So just one, one area that the Spirit of God is prompting you on. It says, you know, I can be more like my Father like this. And in your own strength, you don't try and do it. But you bring that to Him and ask Him for His help. I want to encourage you to do that today. Let's pray.
Our Father, we are very grateful to be your child. We know that you could have saved us and you could have called us something else. We could have just been your servants and left the word at that. But you even go more personal than that. You call us to be your children. And you want us to address you as our Father. We thank you so much for your precious Son, whom you love so much today, who is willing to make that possible by his death on Calvary for us, for that shed blood. Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here today that as your children, that we will enjoy you as our dear Abba Father and King. And that, God, you'll put it on our hearts today just to worship you and love you as you so deserve. And, Lord, if you've got an area in our life, something that you're wanting to discipline us on or point out to us and correct us on that we need to change in, Lord, I pray that you'll just make that real clear to my dear brothers and sisters today. We ask you to go with our, our, uh, your blessing, Lord, as we go about the rest of this day. For we ask it in your son's most precious name. Amen.